0: So Luke 10, let's do 1 through 24. I know that y'all are in Acts. I listen along online just like some of you do who aren't be able to hear every day. So I've been keeping up with the latest messages and been following along through Acts. And it was really tempting to be the missionary that jumps on Acts 13 where we transition from Peter to Paul and just steal the rest of the thunder from Pastor Ben. And um, uh, but I didn't do that. I refrained because that would be not. A nice thing to do as his friend to steal all the rest of Acts, but this is the one freebie. Next time I come, Acts is all mine, brother. Luke 10, so the author of Acts, closest I could get. Uh, now I want to read this scripture first, and then I want to fill in the gaps of the story, because I know there many of you are still saying, they look like a nice family, but why are they here in my church? So hold that thought. Let's hear from the word of the Lord first. Luke 10. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse, a bag, or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, Your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the same time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to the disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did, not, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Heavy words and imagery from our Savior. Let me pray and ask him to redeem them real quickly. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you that you speak to us then, you speak to us now, and you will continue to speak to us as we go forward. We thank you that you speak. And our hearts... And through our actions, please redeem your words, make them real in our hearts. Thank you for the privilege of being back home here at Union Hill. In your name, amen. Please.
1: So we're going to try to recap our story for those of you that haven't heard who we are and what we're about and why we are actually on our way to Zimbabwe. We didn't just randomly choose that. Um, I was born and raised in Vermont to um, a family of dairy farmers and um i had the privilege of meeting jeffrey god brought him to vermont there were no men in vermont until he brought this guy from ohio
0: and i am the son of a preacher man my dad is a church planter planted his first church before i was born more than 40 years ago and we've been plant- i planted churches with my family as part of their family in indiana pennsylvania ohio vermont texas and now as a family we're here in the great state of washington
1: And I joined this family in church planting when Jeffrey and I were married 15 years ago, just a couple weeks ago. And we started having, we got married, started having a family young, told our um, parents, we're probably going to move from Vermont, beautiful there. The winters are really long. And we started looking for places to go. Um, Jeffrey was getting a nursing degree at the time. And we decided, um, Jeffrey's parents said, we're going to move to Houston, Texas. Um, We're going for a second interview. If they offer this position to us, um, we would love to have you guys join us. And so they did accept that position. And so we followed them there, where we lived up until January While we were there, um, we started living the suburban life, which was what I was looking forward to. Um, Had two young um, kids. They're just two years apart. And um, we were doing that. Jeffrey was working in the medical center. Our lives were being pulled apart. During that time, we learned our son had a severe peanut allergy, Also allergic to soy when we got confirmation from the allergist. We changed the way we ate. um, And um, Jeffrey started doing a lot of research on his own about how can I protect my family the best way. And he found out that that would be through growing food for our family. Um, And I knew that meant farming, um, which is something that I did not want to do especially in the fourth largest city of the United States. I thought leaving Vermont, not marrying a farmer, which is a huge thing, um, would be my key to living the suburban life and raising a family.
0: The only man in Vermont, because I was the only one that wasn't a farmer in Vermont. So, of course, I was the only one to choose. I didn't have black and white cows all around me.
1: So, um... This story is a very long process. If you'd love to know more about it, um, we'd be happy to share it with you if you want to join us for lunch. Um, But the short story is we started a farm um, in the suburbs of Houston. We eventually um, expanded that and bought more land, and we had 18 acres. We had a beautiful property. Um, We raised animals for meat. We had citrus. We planted blackberries, about an acre of them. Totally not impressive to you guys but to Houstonians it was very impressive and people loved having access to something like fresh berries which can be difficult to grow in Houston so we did that um, we did that as a way to pull our family together um, and uh, we were doing that because when you start a farm it takes your entire family it wasn't a Jeffrey thing even though it was his idea um, and God worked on my heart to make it become something that we did together. Yeah, So we did this, and we had people at the farm. We hosted um, homeless teenagers um, from a shelter um, down the road. Um, We had fancy farm dinners where we served our meat and produce from our farm and local farms. Um, We toured families. We fed families. We were in the newspapers. Um, We had this big, beautiful, glorious thing going. Um, And um, our goal in this was to phase Jeffrey out of nursing. That was not happening. Once we had enough time to crunch the numbers and we had enough data and enough experience um, underneath our belt, um, we realized that that was not going to happen. Financially, there was no way.
0: It wasn't a way to get rich.
1: <laughs> so we started really to ask some hard questions. Um, he was nursing more than full time, plus farming. We did farming together. We still had school we were still church planting we were doing all these things and um during this time i learned that jeffrey was called to be a missionary when he was about 17 years old sorry i'm dominating the conversation no you're doing great you got a lot of no, talking to <laughs> do
0: so
1: um i
0: by the way if you were called to be a missionary and serve around the world this is something that should come up before the 12th or 13th year of your marriage like, first... <laughs> that one's free <laughs>
1: But but God knew what he was doing because if Jeffrey would have told me that year five, year eight into our marriage, I don't really know what I would have said.
0: She'd be looking for a dairy farmer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we started to um, chase that down. And it actually took a while. Um, Those things don't happen overnight when you just say, okay, God, I'm going to be a missionary. Okay, organization. Okay, church, I'm going to be a missionary. It's a process. Um, So... um, What I have learned through all of this um, and these surprises in life um, is that I get asked a lot, well, what about you? Are you called to be a missionary? Well, I was not called to be a missionary. But what I have learned is that I have been called to life of faithfulness. And when I sit back and look over my life growing up, um, our life together, um, and our life together starting to have a family, is um, that God has called me to be faithful all along the way and things that maybe I didn't plan, I didn't want. (laughs) Um, I thought I didn't want. And so it's just learning to um, grab onto that and trusting God that he has been ordaining our days. We all know that, right? If you've been in the church, we know God ordains our days. Um, But to look back over the 15 years that we had been together, how can I discount um, all that he has set us up to do? Church planting? Jeffrey's Emergency Room Nursing, um, and our farming, um, starting a new business with multiple enterprises. Um, when we told team, our sending agency, that we had these um, experiences and qualifications, they were like, that's amazing. Um, we'll get back to you. We think we know where we're should go. We talked to Zimbabwe a couple times via Skype and they said that they had been praying for somebody with these um, experiences um, and qualifications for the last 15 to 20 years. So another confirmation from God. So we've had conversations with them several times. Um, We were appointed with team to go to Zimbabwe. We went there on a vision trip actually almost a year ago to when we will be arriving.
0: we've been praying for 15 years for somebody to come but we guarantee you won't be able to get a visa at most we'll be able to sneak you in as an emergency nurse for 11 months at a time and then you'll have to leave Zimbabwe and apply again and do that yo-yo back and forth and we said okay
1: so when we left there from our vision trip um, we asked if they had any red flags Um, they wanted to meet our kids because we were taking over pre-teens which is not common Um, and um, they loved our kids why would they not? They're great kids. And God has been preparing them as well. Um, we are so excited to see the story that unfolds in their lives through all of this. Um, so we went there and Jeffrey said to them, you know, about this whole visa thing, they said, you know, what would you like us to do? And Jeffrey's like, just put down what we want. We want to come to be religious workers. So we did that. And, um, A kiss from Jesus, as Jeffrey's mother would say. We didn't even know that they submitted our visa. We had all of the paperwork in order. um, And we got a surprise um, emails and texts and um, phone calls at 3 o'clock one morning, like in February, I think this was, saying, did you get the news? Did you hear the news? Um, Your visa has been accepted. It was accepted within like two weeks' time or less. Um, So all more confirmation from God that we were on the right path. Zimbabwe is the place for us.
0: And they gave us three years right out of the gate. Right.
1: Which is very uncommon. And all after an uprising in their government when um, they, um, what's, not overthrew, what did they do? They,
0: coup? Yeah, disposed. they had a, deposed?
1: they just deposed of their um, leader for the past 30 years, Mugabe. Mm-hmm. Um, peaceful, yeah. no bloodshed, no nothing, which was also amazing. And then shortly after that, they said, sure, we'll accept religious workers. So we did that. So what we are going to do, we are leaving August 1st. Um, our first year, we will be doing language. Thankfully, in Zimbabwe, there's only one language to learn. There are a few variations deep into the bush, but we will be learning Shona. And um, that's what Jeffrey and I will be doing for the first year alongside the kids that learn it in school. But our mission there and our goal there, we have been asked by the Evangelical Church of Zimbabwe to help restart the mission stations in the rural areas. These mission stations um, have all or some of the following uh, schools, churches, uh, medical clinics, and some of them have job training um, facilities. In their war of independence back in the 70s or 80s, a lot of them were bombed, and they have not been restarted. Some of them have, pieces have, um, but they want to get them all running up as a whole. Um, So we are going to go take our church planting, our entrepreneurship, agriculture, um, medicine, and um, re-help the church of Zimbabwe Um, start those mission stations. Um, So um, it's a big task. We have committed to long-term, which was another thing that the Zimbabwean leaders had prayed for, was families who would come long-term. Because this is not a short-term mission trip um, kind of a fix. So it's a long-term commitment. So we're going for as long as we are able. Um, And um, that's a little really quick story. If you've been here before, we left out so many things. But if you want to come have lunch with us, we'll tell you more.
0: Yeah, the 10 peso version for sure. I can tell that story in about an hour and 45 minutes. But it's summer and Sunday. And I thought it was important today that you knew who and what we were doing. But I thought it was also more important. You're going to hear a lot about us in the coming months and weeks as we go. Updates from us, what we're up to, how you can partner with us, when you can come visit us. I thought it was more important this Sunday that you actually hear from us, the, the heart that makes us sell everything you have and give it to the poor, the heart that makes you take off the cowboy hat, sunrise, front porch, Texas, that was my life, and say, I will gladly give that up to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. I thought it was more important that you would hear, what kind of people would do that? So um, I personally got connected, plugged in, at, here at Union Hill Church on Tuesday mornings. So the first time I was ever here... Um, I heard an announcement that says, men, want to join us for prayer at Tuesday mornings? Uh, you're well, 6.30, you're welcome. So I took that seriously and said, do I need prayer? My family and I live out of four suitcases. Yeah, I need prayer. I'm going to Africa. So prayer sounds like my cup of tea. So I met an outstanding group of men who um, loved me like a brother from the very first time I was there and opened the word and prayed with me Prayed for me, and I prayed for them, and they prayed for my family, and asked me all the time, text messages, in person, "How you doing? What can we do? Come on, come on, be with us." It was my plug-in, and it still is my consistent plug um, as part of my prescription for you, men. If you're not at Tuesday at 6:30, you are missing out on the lifeblood of part of the lifeblood of this church, and also getting plugged into what the Father has for you here. So. Not to be too heavy-handed about what you're saying. If you can't make it, you can't make it. But that's how I got plugged in here. And have made some lifelong friends who will carry me a long way uh, because of Tuesday mornings. My commitment to missions happened at a life conference, Life Investment for Eternity. This is what we do with youth in the Alliance is we ask them at 17 to make a choice for eternity to invest their life somewhere. So you think my 6.30 Tuesday morning heavy-handed approach go to a life conference and they want you to know at 16 how you're going to invest your life for eternity and me and 12 other kids in a Colorado State University's basketball arena went forward and said, wherever you want me Lord, I will go and whenever you want me, I will go I thought I was doing the right thing by planting churches with our family, that that was the sum of what he wanted us to do and it turned out he had something more in mind um Recently, in the most beautiful place on earth, a wise man told me the saying: "You always go in the direction you 're looking or look where you want to go. Um, some of you in this room will remember that saying um, he meant it the man who said it meant it as a um, a technique for learning to maneuver a motorcycle when you point your head in a direction on a motorcycle, the bike will naturally want to follow. So look in the direction you want to go and the bike will go that direction. The rest of us instantaneously kind of took that as um, a life lesson. And my farmer heart resonated really deeply with that too. If anybody in this room has ever tried to get any animal to try to go in any direction, you will know that all of us, animals included, go where we are looking. When we started a farm, we didn't have any mentorship. So most of our farming cred comes from trial and error. And we probably should have started uh, some kind of sitcom around our trial and error. But the first time you ever try to get a 300-pound pig onto a trailer, not knowing how to do that with a family of four, is uh, fraught with comedy. Animals will only go where they can see, even if it is dangerous. So um, never, ever, ever backwards, because I can't see where it's going. So the good shepherd, which I wasn't when I started never stands behind sheep. Because when you stand behind sheep, they can't see you, and they only go away. The good shepherd stands in the eyesight of sheep and asks that sheep to go whichever direction opposite them. Um, Begs the question, as we apply this to our lives, well, which direction should we go? Which direction should we look? First of all, I want us to look to family. Um, This is family nuclear and family us. When I was a young father and husband, we were heavily engaged in ministry. Renee was leading worship, and I was involved in tech, tech and evangelism outreach. That was when we did evangelism outreach together. And it tugged at us as our involvement grew and consumed us so much that the dreaded B word in ministry crept in. Burnout. And we were going, 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 always worried about when was the time we were going to fizzle out. That's because we operated in kind of parallel lives, family or mission. As we grew as a family, we attempted to do ministry time management and the notion that we can kind of draw boundaries around where our family and our ministry overlap together and order them in specific sequences so that we wouldn't step on each other of those toes. And of course, that approach didn't work either for us. Not just for us, but those we were ministering to. Before we even learned the term, we decided to draw a line in the sand and reclaim our family together. And we learned this phrase not family or mission, not family and mission, family on mission. It's changed the way we view all of what we do. And instead of putting God in the box and telling Him when and where we will work together with Him, we decided this is our family's. Thing, not our hobby, our life investment for eternity is our family's thing that we will be on mission together with Him. We recognize that our children were not liabilities. We hear this a lot. What about the kids? What about the kids? Let me answer that question kind of directly. What about the kids? My kids, as children of the risen Savior, have the full Holy Spirit residing in them on a miniature version. The fullness that we all share together. They have the same capacity that we do. They are our biggest asset and ally in mission. Why not do this together with them? Who better? We hear this even from other missionaries that they have concerns for our children. Of course we have concerns for our children. We're loving parents. But I know who lives in them, and greater is he. So what does it look like to actually kind of, in practicality, be a family on mission? Here's a simple one. Our family has embraced this thoroughly. Our table often has guests. It's a judgment-free zone. Bring your ideas, values, opinions. Walk life with us. Our time is not only together, it is with others. Our story is not closed and is open to friends and neighbors. We will absolutely change our plans if you have need of them. We commit to working together to advance not just the kingship but the kingdom as a unit. We are family on mission. For us, it turned into a farm, and then a dream and reality of missionary service. We took a wheelchair to a man in our church who has a summer home in Arizona, and he asked us to bring his electric wheelchair down from Washington to Arizona, so that's what we did with spring break. And when we got there, we were Sitting around in his living room, and the question was quickly raised to Sheamus, "Think you want to be a missionary someday?" And without hesitation, guess what he said, "I already am." That's what I'm talking about, about family on mission, not deferred Christianity for our kids, not deferred action for our family. Our family took their spring break to love somebody that needed our help, and answered, "I already am a missionary." Secondly, I'd like us to look to the mission itself. My family, my special family, has taken the call to serve him wherever he leads. But how do we even know what the mission is without being told or defined what it is? Well, Jesus took care of that. Like every good father, when they give you a list of instructions you should do as a good son, but the last instruction he gave you is with the most fervor. And that last instruction was... You probably all know this. Go, ends of the earth, make disciples, baptize them, and I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Honestly, how's that going, church, for us? How are we doing in that regard? Bad news today. We're shrinking. We are losing ground on that instruction that our Savior told us to do. By every metric, however you want to measure it, the church is shrinking in significance, in influence, in its culture, in money, in people all over the world. There are fewer missionaries than there has ever been, except for short-term missionaries. There's an enormous boom in missionaries, missions as vacation, and a tremendous slide as missionary as vocation. The generation I belong to is the least church, and every church, every generation after that in the last 60 years. We're simply not engaging in this process, by and large, as the capital C Church, and therefore not in the mission that he has called us to. I can probably talk a long time about the factors and what we should do about that, but I will save that for another time. But the major factor is a desire to protect ourselves with solid middle-class values from the very thought that God may be calling you and your children to serve him in the ends of the earth. To build barriers of safety to keep me from being poor, my children safe, and my wife entertained. That lure is real, and I'm here to say that I fell into that trap. This is not an accusation. This is an indictment of my own life. The mission of telling the story to those that have never heard that there is a loving Savior... died for us to save us from ourselves and to usher him into usher us into eternity with him we have made a terribly awkward moment indeed between the joy of our salvation and the sacrament of our funeral David Foster Wallace told this in a commencement speech two young fish were swimming along on a Sunday morning and after a certain time they passed by an older fish who greeted them and said morning boys how's the water And they swim past each other, and after they got out of earshot, one young fish leaned to the other and said, what the heck is water? Now, in another time, I would would take that story and be the wise old fish here to describe to you how something right in front of our surrounding ourselves should be rather obvious to us, but this is not that time. But rather, I want you to hear from me what I did wrong, and hopefully not fall into the same temptation. Before my family was on mission together, I acted on my default setting, the this-is-water setting. The default setting in our culture is one that our culture doesn't often acknowledge because it's so ubiquitous, but it also is kind of socially unacceptable to kind of acknowledge it with one another. My default setting, and possibly somebody else in this room too, is I am absolutely, unequivocally, and certainly the center of the universe. It's my default All my experiences, all my observations, all the feelings are mine. And anything else that has value, your feelings have to be translated to me. Um, It sounds horrible even when I fess it up, doesn't it? That you think you're the center of the universe. Ask yourself this question. Is that the way I see my world too? I did. I certainly did. It's hard work to break out of that default setting and begin to love the way that Christ did. The world looks like a thousand choices, unattractive, humble ways, the needs of others, the service of the poor, the lonely, the afraid, the single mom, the divorced man, and the vulnerable child. The intentionality to choose to bake free from our default setting and to see the world as it is, that is water. That is the mission. Not I, but Christ. The last piece of looking towards the mission is pledging to be the sidekick and not the hero. Far too long, good intention folks have engaged the world around and in neighborhoods doing the right things for the wrong reasons, and mainly for neglecting to do the hard work of acknowledging that this is water. My family has pledged, as we go forward, to be the sidekick to Zimbabweans, not the hero. That's not our call. To be the sidekick means Zimbabweans will choose to alleviate poverty, and we will help them. It means Zimbabweans will choose to make different choices, and we will help them. Zimbabweans will choose to right their country, and we will help them. That is the humble call of the servant church. Be the sidekick, not the hero. Ask simply, how can I help? He's called us to love one another just as Christ loved the church. Let us stop fragmenting the bride into tiny pieces because they don't look like us and see the way that he does loved, purchased by the blood, and on mission for him. Capital C, church. And lastly, I want us to look to the church directly. There's a story, an old story, maybe some of you know. A master and an apprentice were walking along and they stumbled across the village a family was living, and they were um, poor. And their lifeline, if so to speak, was a little brown cow. A little brown cow made just enough milk to feed their family. They were dependent on it. And the apprentice took pity on them and said, Master, how can I help this family? And the master said, Kill the cow. And the apprentice was shocked, Kill the cow, that's all that they have. The master said, if you want to help, kill the cow. So that night, the apprentice went back to the village and did what his master said and killed the cow. And they left. Years later, the apprentice was still guilty about what he had done, thinking, certainly I have condemned these people. And he went back to the village, and as he got close to the village, he came upon a bustling town. At hotels and shops and markets and people coming and going. and He went into the hotel, to the desk, and said, what happened to the family that used to be here? And the man behind the desk says, that's us. And he explained, when the cow died, they had to rely on their neighbors and their family and do something different. My cow was the complete desire to let my rugged individualism Drive my life, my cowboy hat, big Texas sunset, green pasture life. The farmer is iconic for this, right? And this is why I sought it out. To not rely on anyone else, to be productive, a go-getter, to have at least two side hustles going all the time to work harder, be more efficient, pay the deep price, even if it cost my own personal health, drive that right into the ground if need be all to say I did it, I accomplished it, I could do it, and I could do it again until one day I am sitting in church and our sweet savior leaned over and killed my cow he told me you can't ever give enough in the sacrifice war that you're having with me You'll never be me, Geoffrey. I'm calling you to go, or only I can send you. My favorite missionary, Jim Elliot, a man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Romans 11, Paul uses this metaphor of Gentiles being grafted into the church of an olive tree and as a metaphor that is important to us here at Union Hill it is a metaphor of roots branches and fruits Paul says and I'm summarizing him here you're the new wild branch grafted into this tree speaking to the Gentiles don't worry about the roots they're there for a reason don't even worry about the other branches just be you the branch and praise God that he grafted you into it and say thanks for those roots because they have purposes too why do we graft anything in agriculture and horticulture to get fruit it's the only purpose for grafting almost everything we eat as fruit now is grafted all of those apple trees are grafted because we select roots for soil and branches for fruit but they don't necessarily come from the same place. The same branch going to seed will make a kind of root that doesn't flourish in that soil. So we select roots that love the soil where they're found, and we take the branch and we put it on top for the fruit that we are after. They, Paul knew that when he wrote this. When he wrote that, it is a tremendous joy of my life to be grafted into Union Hill. The roots that you have put down here are strong and deep and essential and beautiful. The branches that you have sent out are bearing fruit not only in this community but around the world. We were at Holly Park uh, last week. Holly Park's a historically black church and Pastor Otis, much more passionate public speaker than I am, says, warned us as he was sending us off the day that you circled Zimbabwe on the map, so did the devil. And the day that you circled Redmond on the map, so did the devil. And he wants to tell you that roots don't matter, that all that matters is flashy fruit. Make more fruit, make more fruit, make more fruit. And what I read in Romans is, there ain't no fruit. Without deep roots. That also means as you send us out to be fruit bearers, we cannot do that without you fill in the blank. You already know the answer. Despite the odds here at Union Hill, you have many different generations represented here. The virtue of our elders. Handed down to our next generation with an honest dialogue on how the next generation here will lead roots and fruits. You are absolutely blessed to have a distinct family that loves one another in it, yet still willing to graft in other families who are on mission and invited to join, invited to join in the mission together. In a time when the church is losing ground on influence in the world, Union Hill is expanding. In a time when there are fewer and fewer workers in the field. Union Hill's commissioning and sending them out. In a time when vulnerability is required of leadership, you have it. In a time when generosity is needed, you display it. In a time encouragement is called for you do it naturally. Thank you, Union Hill, for grafting in my family. Thank you for giving us roots. Branches can't make them. We can only be grafted onto them. This feels more like home than probably you will ever realize to us. We feel connected to the roots here. I hope you feel the same, connected to the branches here. And I hope as you go through the week-to-week, day-to-day around here, and those thoughts creep in of, does this even matter? Are we doing making, what we do make any difference at all? Know that that's what roots always think. Yes, it matters. It always matters. Stay connected to the branches. One last lesson. Those pictures that you have seen so far have been pictures of our blackberry orchard. Our blackberry orchard was trellised, kind of like a grape vineyard. So rows and rows of blackberries trained onto wires. Really, the metaphor of after we're done with fruit, you cut them off. Throw them into the fire. Someday I'll preach the I am the vine with our blackberry history. As my dad was living there with us last blackberry season. Blackberry season is June, May, May, June, um, approximately in Houston, Texas. So, 95 degrees, 80% humidity. Um, It is a real struggle to keep sweat off of the berries you're picking. We were picking one day, he and I across the row. It probably took us two or three hours to pick the whole vineyard every day. So we would pick and talk and pick and talk. And as we're picking, on the blackberry, on the fruit that a blackberry bears, you'll see a really ripe one. And you'll know it's ripe when it's all black and shiny and just starting to think about becoming dull. But right next to it is one that is partially black. Right next to it is one that's green the one that's red. So we would sort through and pick today's fruit. We did this process every day. The moral of the story is, and the lesson that I learned there, being the son of a pastor, is don't pick tomorrow's fruit today. Tomorrow's fruit tastes sour. Tomorrow's fruit tastes bad. Is it sweet? What is today's fruit that we are picking roots and branches together today. I want to say that root is unity, brotherhood, sisterhood, family, community, mission, purpose, church. I want that to be where we look to where we're going. Thank you for loving my family, and let me pray. Dearly Father, thank you so much that we could be here together with you. We thank you that you are speaking, that you are an active, living God who speaks to me. Please forgive me where I have misstepped and misspoke today. Use our words as words of encouragement. Thank you for guiding me all the way and convincing me that I am not the center of the universe, that you are, and that you're a good, good Father who loves me and guides me. There are many struggles, most of them I put in my own way. It looks like, at present, Lord, as we get ready to launch to Africa, that I am surrounded. It looks like everywhere I turn, there is an obstacle, one that seems that I can't win. And when it looks like I'm surrounded, remind me, Lord, that I'm surrounded by you. In your precious name, amen.